Welcome to Connections Podcast on Healthy Gambling and Gaming. I'm co-host Tana Russell, Assistant Director with the Evergreen Council on Problem Gambling. And I'm co-host Julie Hines, Executive Director with the Oregon Council on Problem Gambling. We're full of connections, health, and hope. Our goal is to provide powerful and empowering podcasts that fit into your busy lives, making the most of timely information and fun conversations. So we're talking loot boxes, just loot boxes. We can talk about food. I mean, I feel like that would, that's priority. There's a lot of stuff that might, people might care about in the gambling world, but people really are interested in food. You ever notice when you do like a social media post, if there is a baby in there, baby gets, baby gets lots of likes. Pets get lots of likes. Good news, meh, you know, bad news. Mm. But man, if you talk about food, that's some interactions. Yeah, Rob, Rob's nodding because Rob knows. So you're not into avocados? You know, I wish, I wish that I was. Mm. I really do. I mean, they always look delicious. There's so good for you. I hear if that's all you ate the rest of your life, you'd be fine, you know, but um, can't do it. I can't do guac. I can't do avocado slices. Mm-hmm. I can do like a sliver, like a quarter of an avocado or less blended up in my smoothie, just enough to help it to be creamy, be, but not enough that I can taste it. Mm. So what kind of smoothie can you put in and not taste the avocado? Uh, chocolate peanut butter Oreo. <laughs> that that says a lot about your personality, Tana. <laughs> so it doesn't have actual Oreos in it. It has Oreo flavored protein shakes with... <laughs> A hundred percent chocolate bar, which is awful if you eat it by itself. But if you put it in a smoothie, it gives you a little chocolate bit, and then all natural peanut butter with coconut milk. Unsweet. It's okay. You don't really have to justify yourself here. It's okay <laughs> if you just ground up some Oreos. It could be Oreo bites. It could be the marshmallow Oreos. It could be pumpkin Oreos. It could be any Oreo. Yeah. Um, Peep flavored Oreos? I don't know, but they had hot tamale peeps this year. And that was a big hit around here for my son who likes flaming hot Cheetos. Yeah. Have you ever done the whole peep in the microwave thing? There is an entire website dedicated towards peeps research, which looks at the peep in the microwave. It looks at a peep subjected to uh, various different liquids. We, we, I wonder if the website is still up. It's, I think it was called like peepsresearch.com or something. And they literally did all of these great experiments on traditional marshmallow peeps. Uh, yeah, look it up. Even like, I saw it like a few years ago and it still looked like it was like a 1997 GeoCities site. Uh, 
Just research. Yep. It's still there. Research.org. Yeah. Uh, with marshmallow peeps, those resilient little birds. Reaction to cold, to heat, mm -hmm. volubility testing, low pressure environment. This oh. is very advanced. Yeah. Very advanced, scientific, very um, world changing research going on here. And the website still hasn't changed. It is still the same website. And oh man, remember back in the day when on the bottom of the websites, they, they would have the ticker of the visitors, how many visitors mm -hmm. there have been. Mm -hmm. Look at that. If you scroll down, you can see you are visitor number 13,315,551. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. Um, medical miracle. When tuplet keep siblings conjoined at birth have been separated through this daring application of modern medicine. Uh, uh. That is the best news I have heard all day. If, uh, if that's not interesting enough for people to want to visit this website, I don't oh, know where it would be. Oh, it's like he came out a little squished, but the other four are intact. Like, oh, oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, with the scalpel, that, that, that looks a little risky. All right, so are we supposed to do a podcast today? I think we're doing a podcast. What, so what'd you come up with with that loot box article from the UK? It's really interesting stuff. Oh gosh. Well, one thing I like about this and we can put a link to it in the resource and information for this podcast. They analyze the loot box research that has occurred basically since 2018. So we're looking at the last two, three years and they did a little bit of research on their own um, I do appreciate how they talked about the limits of it. Um, of course, one of the clear limits from my perspective is, is a lot of the populations are um, non-US based, but it's mm -hmm. still good information. Mm -hmm. uh, it talked about how a lot of these, you know, all the data was collected at one point in time, but mm -hmm. they're not longitudinal studies. That gives a little bit of a restriction there. But one thing they did do is they took a sample of their own to dive deeper into why are people buying loot boxes? The limit there is it was only 28 people in the UK. Okay, so very restricted sample size, not gonna give us a rule of thumb to go off of, but what they did well is they spent like an hour with each person, talking mm -hmm. to them in depth about what exactly uh, is their motivators and the complexities and overlapping of the different reasons that people do play loot boxes. So the information that they gleaned, even from those 28 people, does give some really insightful information. Again, not enough to be, um, you know, to, to give us any kind of global prevalence or anything, but gives us some really interesting information. Yeah, I, one of the things I thought was so interesting reading in that article, and for listeners that don't know what a loot box is, it's basically a mystery box. You could think about it kind of as a, almost like a virtual baseball card in, in many ways. You try to open up something and try to get your the greatest player. Uh, but in this case, it's the mechanisms are very similar to a slot machine. So it's almost like a baseball card meets a slot machine. It's a this virtual prize that you get and you're looking for something to help you in a game. So 
for example, if you're playing a game in which you want like a certain character that might help you in a game or a certain weapon, you might want to open a loot box to see if you can get one of those rare characters or weapons to help you. And most times it's some virtual currency. Sometimes it's currency you've earned in the game. Many times it's currency that you put into the game, whether it be a credit card, a gift card, or what have you. And what Tana is referring to is this article that came about around loot boxes, gambling, and even related to problematic gambling among young people. So, uh, you know, when you're talking about the sample sizes and stuff, yeah, they might be small, but I mean, this is all new data. And you're holding right. up this report and it's like, the, right. it's fantastic that we have this new data and we have researchers that are looking into this. Because anecdotally, we see it, right, Tana? We see that it, the connections to gambling are pretty clear and the research is showing it. Yeah. Yeah, of all of the research studies they looked at that were specifically studying the connection between loot boxes and problem gambling, almost all uh, showed a statistically significant correlation. Now, that doesn't mean there's a cause there, right? Mm -hmm. So for listeners, when research says X is correlated to Y, that doesn't mean that X caused Y, right? What they don't know are the people experiencing problem gambling who have been buying loot boxes. Is the buying of the loot boxes causing the problem gambling? Or is there maybe some, maybe were they already dealing with problem gambling and that's what's causing them to buy the loot boxes, right? Like Mm -hmm. which came first, the chicken or the egg? Do not know, Yeah. right? There's just evidence over and over and over again showing that the two relate and they relate at similar rates, if not higher than other things we know that co-occur such mm-hmm. as problem gambling and substance use disorder, problem gambling and mental health, problem gambling and loot boxes correlate at similar if not higher rates. Yeah. Well, you know, and you're talking about the chicken and the egg and whether loot boxes sort of sort of might facilitate, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, getting into a, a, a gambling and maybe a gambling problem. I think that's where we look at youth, right? Because this, this particular... Mm-hmm piece really focuses on the disproportionate rates of loot box purchasing among youth, right? right? And we talk about, in our world, in prevention, we always talk about grooming. So, you know, in terms of looking at this, like, you've got young people who, and I love the article that refers to FOMO, fear of missing out, it talks about that kind of social credibility too there that comes into interplay with this. You've got these young people and they want to be advanced in the game. They want to look cool with their friends. They might be spending money on it. And this sort of is a behavior, right, Tana? That it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of uh, enabling this sort of brain component of getting engaged in an activity that carries risk. Right. And I just want to be clear, we're not anti-gambling or gaming or even anti-loot boxes, or at least I'm not anti-loot boxes, but where I have concern is that these strategies to get the player to spend money inside the game 
is being delivered without, in my opinion, sufficient education and warning about uh, the potential. Yeah, yeah. Did the article um, refer to anything specifically about what they would recommend? I don't remember seeing that. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, yes. Like, what would you recommend for, you know, the Entertainment Software Ratings Board, they have the uh, contains, includes random items label that's slapped on there for loot boxes now. What do you think would be appropriate for us in the United States to look at as far as games that have loot boxes? Uh, give me a minute. Let me find it in here. You're, you're going full on data geek. Um, yeah, Tana's got highlighted pages. Recommendations, several things that I would not have thought of myself. Uh, let me, you keep talking for a minute. Let me find it. Oh, oh I found it. Okay. <laughs> found it. Um, any legislation, I'm just going to read this for you. Any legislation regulating loot boxes will require careful consideration. And, and one of the things they warn about is, you know, if there's going to be any legislation regulating loot boxes or warnings thereof, it needs to be very specific. Mm -hmm. And uh, keeping in mind that things are going to change rapidly, right? Mm -hmm. So any kind of randomized prizes, it needs mm -hmm. to be not just the loot box, because loot box is just the... Uh, it's just the graphic of the day, you know. Right. So anyway, uh, drawing from experiences in other jurisdictions, we present a series of recommendations for future policy. Prospective policy should include provisions for clear definitions of loot boxes, game labeling and age ratings. And we can talk about the rating system in just a minute as well. Um, because if loot boxes are deemed gambling, that completely changes how all of the games currently containing them are going to be rated. Anyway, right, right. Full disclosure of odds presented in an easy to understand way. And they talked about how that's part of the current problem is they might display odds, but they're in such a way the average person isn't going to really understand what they're talking about. It's not the same. Every game describes it differently. Right. Um, yeah, then, because with lottery, we have these standardized odds. Right that are on the back of your tickets, you know when you're buying a lottery ticket what your odds are of winning a certain prize. But loot boxes, to your point, that's completely, completely different. In our state, uh, in our state, you can go to the Washington State Gambling Commission website and look up every game they regulate mm -hmm. and learn about it mm -hmm. all in one place. Uh, let's see, spending limits and prices in real currency. In other words, no more virtual currency terms. Yeah. Gonna put, they recommend a dollar amount on every purchasable item, every loot box, et cetera, not converting it into virtual currency of the game. Mm -hmm. And finally, obligations of gatekeepers, i.e. developers, distributors, content providers for the trade they enable and profit from. So the other thing they talked about is kind of this third party uh, back door to illegal gambling where Steam isn't promoting online gambling of skins, but there's third party apps and sites that can connect to Steam so that individuals can take the skins they've purchased in the game, they can convert it to virtual currency, they can gamble with those skins. Um, all of this is illegal and very hard to regulate. Right, right. And we had this thing a few years ago, 
now where it, it drew a lot of attention, the whole skins thing. And for those who aren't familiar with skins, basically they're there are items that are just aesthetic within a game. They don't help you in a game. They could be clothes, it could be a way of weapons decorated. It could be a, a dance or an emote. It, it doesn't need to be anything, but people can take it from whatever game they're playing. Say if they're playing Counter-Strike Global Offensive from Steam, which is your Netflix of video games. They take it from that platform. They take it onto some other website and then they could gamble with it and hope to get a better skin or, or cash out and yeah, with this whole thing, just drew a lot of attention a couple of years ago because, you know, kids easily can access these sites. There's really no regulation on them. They're, they're not anything that's legal, but they're in that gray area because they're not considered gambling. Right. So, right. yeah. So, so when we think about things like loot boxes and skins and virtual currency, and you mentioned dollar amounts right? I mean, these are things that nowadays we're going to have to look at this more and more. If you go to Dave and Buster's and you swipe a card at Dave and Buster's and you want to play games, it doesn't show you how much money you're, you're putting in there. It shows you how many credits the game costs mm -hmm. and removing that idea of money is part, it's, it's a major psychological factor in there. And what's going to happen when we have you know, these whole like non-fungible tokens and thinking about how we're removing more and more money, the idea of money from, from our, our thinking. Mm -hmm. What do you think we can do as far as in harm reduction? How do we play part in all of this? Well, shoot this podcast, mm -hmm. you know, getting the information out because on all of this kind of stuff, legislation uh, is always going to fall behind the current state of events, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the current state of events is constantly changing. So in the meantime, it's more about educating adults make good decisions for themselves, educating youth to make good decisions for themselves, educating parents to help their youth make good decisions mm -hmm. with the reality that is at the moment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, especially when you think about for young people, all this is coming naturally to them. And uh, I mean, uh, I heard from Cam Adair, who, uh, who those of who are familiar, well familiar with Cam Adair, but he's a, a person in recovery from video gaming addiction. He owns gamequitters.com. You could put it in the podcast notes. He was talking recently about this whole idea around virtual trading cards. And you're actually buying a moment of time on a sporting event. And they're collectibles now. And like, I, I can't wrap my head around that. Like, I would go, if I wanted to see a sporting event highlight, I would go to YouTube and I'd see the sporting event highlight. I wouldn't need to feel like I needed to own a few seconds in time, if that makes sense. But for a lot of people, this just, it, it comes naturally to them. It, it doesn't, mm -hmm. it does, it's not a tangible thing, but it is something that comes naturally to them. And mm -hmm. as people who work in public health, we have to keep tabs on this stuff. We have to be aware of it. So then, yeah, to your point on a podcast or in a training or 
educational materials that we help other people understand what these things are and break it down in terms that they can get it. Right. And part of the concern, of course, that always comes to mind with me, my background in treatment of Mm -hmm. substance use disorders, tobacco, gambling, et cetera. My mind always goes to the life of the person in recovery, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say I'm a person in recovery. I'm doing good. Mm -hmm. Playing a game has not been problematic for me. So I'm going to play these games and not once ever get information that some of the elements in some games are actually highly problematic for addiction, Mm -hmm. right? Never will see that information, never get that education. Had I gotten that information, like, hey, these types of games that stimulate, you know, uh, they have no end to them, right? Games that aren't played in rounds, they're just kind of ongoing. Even if you're not online, they're still playing. You can lose loot even while you're not logged in, right? Like this kind of stuff that is constantly uh, vying for the person's attention, asking for more and more and more time, more and more and more money. That's actually very risky for a person in recovery because of the way it stimulates the brain and old addictive behaviors and the autopilot. Yeah. Right. And then for you, I mean, it's our job to make sure that youth have the best chance possible to be healthy and and successful and take care of their bodies and take care of their brains, et cetera. And for some youth playing the games, it's, it's just something they do while they're young, they'll grow out of it, they'll go to college, get jobs, et cetera, no big deal. But for some of them, this will completely rewire their brain and change the entire trajectory of their life. Yeah. Yeah. We need to know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really, I mean, when we think about all behaviors, the earlier on in life that someone starts a risky behavior, the more likely they are to develop a problem. I think that's no secret for people. But when you think about gaming, to your point, I mean, you know, you've got babies playing with devices. And what does this mean for the future? What does it mean, particularly since smartphones are relatively new? And then you add in features like loot boxes, where your brain as a young person is being encouraged to you know, take these chances and that dopamine level that teens are especially susceptible to. This is why so many advocates care about the issue of loot boxes. And, and yeah, loot boxes is like the, the flavor of the day in terms of all this stuff, but it's, it's emblematic of where things are headed. Mm-hmm. And it's emblematic of why we need to pay attention as a society and really start looking at how we as a country are looking at video games, if we're regulating, how we're regulating and educating because this is only gonna increase and the industry, video gaming industry, Entertainment Software Association famously said a couple of years ago that you know they don't believe that video gaming is an addiction. And if you have that as your is your, is your sort of base, where do you go from there? If you don't acknowledge the World Health Organization's gaming disorder classification. 
Yeah, alcohol industry acknowledges that alcohol is, you know, there's alcohol use disorder. The gambling industry acknowledges that there's gambling disorder. Uh, tobacco industry, yeah. Well, after they got slapped with lawsuits. Eventually, <laughs> eventually came around and now they've got some warning label. Yeah. Took them a while, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and yeah, so like when you talk about things like, the I think you mentioned in the one of the recommendations was something like labeling or what was it something about proper like clear labeling mm -hmm. like that's we not we, we don't have self-exclusion for video gaming you can't tell the game that you're playing that you don't want it to include loot boxes um I think that depends on the game I have this uh post from Reddit of a individual who was in recovery from a gambling disorder, mm -hmm. right? That was pre-existing, switched to playing video games. And for the first few years, it was no big deal, right? It was something to do with time. It wasn't problematic. It wasn't causing issues. She was very self-aware. Um, but then they introduced loot boxes. Mm -hmm. And the moment her game introduced loot boxes, uh, it triggered her gambling disorder. Mm -hmm. And she ended up losing thousands of dollars very quickly just on the loot boxes inside the game. Mm -hmm. I forget the name of the game, but she wrote them and said, please ban my account from being able to purchase these. And they did. Oh, okay. But she had um, to take the effort in order to write them, specifically ask them to, right. to do that. Yeah. Right. There's no warning of, you know, caution if you have history of problem gambling or gambling disorder you may want to self-ban you know of course there's no, there's no um proactive measures for individuals the many many individuals like her in, in that situation she yeah. was um had the wherewithal to write them at one point and get herself self-banned and then um the the Reddit thread was checking in with her sometime later and she was able to respond. She got back into counseling and she was on track and doing well. So, I mean, she she got back into treatment from it, mm -hmm. um, but eventually was was doing all right. But yeah. 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 So you have this industry that you don't have that sort of proactive, the proactive measures being taken. You can't easily turn off a loot box it within your video game you can't mm -hmm. self-exclude really if you think about like big fish casino right uh -huh. yeah it was wasn't thinking... until they got sued that now mm -hmm. they have a self-exclusion policy on their website mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right so now that one has a self-exclusion policy on their website i hope other agencies won't wait till they get sued yeah and will go ahead and put a self-exclusion thing on their website however that being said i have checked it out and it's completely insufficient <laughs> it's very nice okay I like this statement that they wrote however it says visit our you know customer service or whatever so you click that link and you go there and then you can't find anything that says self-exclude so I, I, I really compare it to trying to submit an IT ticket where you have to kind of speak enough IT language to know which selection is the proper thing to choose <laughs> but if you knew that much you wouldn't have to submit the IT ticket in the first place like that's kind of how it felt going to try to find how like pretending I was a person who needed to self-exclude and going through all of the steps, I couldn't find it. That's you. 
and you you know how to navigate these things. So if you for. didn't have, yeah, <laughs> if you didn't have the the resources that you did and the knowledge and experience you do, you'd totally be screwed trying to self exclude from Big Fish Casino. Right. There were a couple options. I thought, well, I might select this one and then select this, you know, sub option. But I, either way, I'd have to type in the comments, hello, I'm trying to self-exclude. Direct me to wherever I need to go. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't make it clear. Mm-hmm. They've got a yeah. nice statement, not a nice process. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it took a national article and a, a lawsuit and upheaval to get them right there. Right. I think about also, I mean, we're talking about trends and stuff here and the whole area of talking about not being able to self-exclude and possible gambling problems is day trading and just how much day trading has exploded among lay people. We had that whole Robin Hood debacle a couple of months ago that really drew yeah. a lot of attention. Our Wall Street bets is now yeah. one of the highest trending Reddit threads, Reddit communities. Well, yeah, and it, and and thank goodness for Reddit because they got uh, GameStop back off the ground. Uh, my my kids went to uh, AMC the, the, on the weekend, and I was like, "Hey, you're actually helping AMC. You paid nineteen dollars for a popcorn and, and two waters while you watched your really expensive movie, and you're you're keeping alive the cinema industry." What we'll do for our nostalgic memories? Oh my gosh, yeah. But yeah, but I mean, this is where more and more people are talking about changing the definition of what gambling is. Mm-hmm. What is the definition? Because we've always considered gambling as being like prize, chance, and consideration. And if you think about prize, like, is it virtual? Is it real? Is it tangible? If it's virtual, is it real and tangible? You know what? Let me read a quote to you here. Because that's part of the thing they talk about in this article is one of the reasons it skirts gambling regulation in the UK is because it has to have monetary worth, right? Mm-hmm. And if, uh, you know, by game design, if they can't get what they're, if they can't get cash back for these items that they have purchased and gotten by random chance in a loot box, then therefore it's not gambling because you can't get cash back from it, right? So right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me read you this one quote. It says, uh, despite personal difference and nuances. There was one perception about, and this is referring to one perception that their uh, sample population said about loot boxes uh, unified that unified all of our participants. So they all gave different reasons that they played loot boxes, but there was one thing they all said, and that was the notions of value. This was consistently, consistently linked with item rarity. The rarer the haul, the higher the value. This might even have direct financial implications as some participants were hoping to get lucky and unbox items that were available to buy outright in the item shop, but were normally too expensive. In some cases, this is the only way they might be able to afford the item. In other cases, they were hoping to later trade any lucky wins for an overall profit. These sorts of observations suggest that many loot boxes meet existing criteria for gambling regulation. And then they had one gamer quoted here. He says, if you got a good player, like a rare player, it was just like, it was like ultimately winning virtual currency because you could sell that player for virtual currency. Mm-hmm. Right. They all mm-hmm. said in the game, these things have 
huge value that is mm -hmm. worth something to them. So the fact that it's not cash value, monetary right. value is irrelevant right. to the gamer. Right. Yeah. And it, I mean, you're looking at the same stuff it does in the brain. Mm -hmm. And you think about all the people and you referred to the individual in recovery, you think about all the people in recovery who, even with a game like Big Fish games with Candy Crush, with all kinds of things run into trouble because of them trying to spend some money to try to get something of greater value. And in Candy Crush is a little different, right? Because you're, you're just spending money on trying to advance through the game, more or less. But the mechanisms in the brain... Yeah, there's value within the game. Yeah. If you value playing that game, that's a reward. Yeah. It it's virtual currency, but it's currency nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. It has value within the game. That's why it's there in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's wild too to think about when you look at this. I, I mean, our world is more focused on it with the gambling convergence and whether or not it, it, it meets the criteria. And then you think about the gaming community, how much loot boxes are annoying to people who want to grind and advance the game naturally. Right. And, and then you've got somebody that's spending like a thousand dollars on loot boxes to be able to get those better characters and advance quicker. Mm -hmm. There was a, well, I don't know, maybe three or four years now, that Star Wars Battlefront 2 came out. Yes. You remember that? Yeah, it talked a lot about it in here, but I, I remember that it basically was an utter fail because mm -hmm. the loot box was like such a key element of the game. It essentially yeah. said only the people who are willing to pay the money can advance. Mm -hmm. And that's not with a lot of people no. you be able to buy your way through a game like that's not fair and it made a lot of people really really upset well and we have them to thank for that we have the gaming community to thank for drawing attention to loot boxes because if it weren't they for them a lot of people don't like them yeah and they were pissed because i think it was like there was some analogy where you know you could advance if you bought loot boxes you could advance this quickly and if you didn't buy any loot boxes, it would take you like two years or something to get as far. And, and yeah, I mean, they, the gaming community really, they were the first ones to draw attention to this. Right. And they were the first ones to get that traction around what is gambling and gaming. And I don't know if we would have had a federal trade commission hearing on loot boxes if it weren't for them. And you know what else is interesting about how this is different in the gaming world versus the physical world, right? Is it first brush, it almost seems like that is creating a divide between wealthy gamers mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. less wealthy gamers. However, what they've actually found is that the big spending on loot boxes comes from a very tiny percentage of the population. It is not a reflection of that population's income. Those are actually the people that are more likely to be dealing with problem gambling and probably video gaming. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. not appealing to wealthy gamers. It's appealing to at-risk gamers. Right. And then they're being marketed to even more so. 
and targeted even more so. You can't target that population thinking, I'm just going to give wealthy people more opportunities to spend. What instead it's doing is taking advantage of people that are already at risk, already yeah. having issues. Yeah. And the research shows yeah. that. The research shows, I, and you're looking at what one of the things that just blew my mind was seeing that 5% of the people who buy loot boxes make up half of all the revenue. Mm -hmm. I mean, we hear about things like whales in the in, in, in the industry. And typically, like when you hear about alcohol purchases, you hear about the 2080 principle, you know, mm -hmm. where 20% of the population makes up 80% of, of the, the problem or the sales. And, and this is even more like this, that was a staggering. Yeah. That was staggering. Yeah. It's, it's beyond the rates we see in other industries. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, for our listeners, just to kind of be aware of this stuff and, and know at least a little bit about some of the nuances here, when we're looking at problem gambling and problem gaming, again, we're looking at the problem. We're looking at not overall saying that gambling and gaming are, are at all bad, but Sometimes we have people who are really more at risk than other people, and we have a, um, an industry now hopefully taking more responsibility and ownership over getting help, and 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 us being really part of that uh, part of that conversation around education mm -hmm. and providing that help, regardless of whether they have a gaming or gambling problem, right? It, we're just we're just we it's it's about how it's affecting people's lives. You know, I just found one more quote I'll read. So we were talking about why, why this is even an issue to begin with, right? Because mm -hmm. having these things in games is not like terrible in and of itself, okay, giving people different experiences, but it needs to come with some warnings. It needs to come with some regulation. It can't be so predatory in your face, particularly towards younger audiences, mm -hmm. right? And why is it such a concern for younger audiences? Mm -hmm. is a big question. And, and this is what they said here about it. Three main underlying reasons. First, neurodevelopmental immaturity is thought to be linked to reduce impulse control in adolescents, right? Mm -hmm. So they are less likely to be able to minimize the notification, ignore the thing asking them to buy stuff. They're less likely mm -hmm. to be able to just ignore that stuff. Um, or to ignore the peer pressure from their friends that says they're not cool if they don't have this thing, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Second, this cohort may lack effective coping strategies for the challenges of adolescence, leading to greater urges for escape, a known risk factor for problem gambling. First, mm -hmm. I would hate to be a young person in today's society. Mm -hmm. They really do have it really rough, they do. right? Um, plus, they just haven't had a chance to develop a great, large, effective toolbox of coping strategies for all the different right. things life throws at them. And gaming can become kind of a go-to coping strategy um, in, in ways that can cause more problems than good. And third, adolescents are more susceptible to influences of peer pressure, where social networks can serve to normalize behavior such as high-risk gambling. And one of the things this talked about is when people are trying to get certain things out of loot boxes, Part of it is because they see there's a financial value, but even if 
it has a financial value in, in some of the circumstances we talked about a minute ago where like they could trade it or they mm-hmm. could gamble with it. A lot of times they don't, mm-hmm. right? They choose to keep it for themselves because it gives them status. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It gives yeah. them quote unquote respect. It gives them um, coolness in the game. Yeah. Yeah, those pieces are so important. And for, you know, being a parent myself, I think about these things and how much more difficult it is nowadays to grow up. But obviously, you know, then you add a global pandemic in it and that really makes things wonderful. It's more difficult to parent too. But yeah, I mean, because we're, we're having to kind of keep an eye on all this stuff. And it used to be, you got bullied at school, you come home. I, I wore pay less shoes in, 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 uh, in middle school. I made, got made fun of for not having the cool Reeboks. I'd come home, you know, and it's done. And now you come home, you play Fortnite, you play something else. And it's like, well, you got the stock character. You're so lame or you're only on this level or this thing. And you haven't completed this quest or you let us down because you didn't show up to our raid. I, I mean, there's just so much going on there. And so for us as as parents, just to kind of keep that in mind and give people grace. And, and Tana was talking about coping skills. And when we think about coping, Tana ran away for a minute. So that's why I'm using her as third person. My dog grabbed her squeaker toy. So I took the squeaky one and gave her a different one. <laughs> you, you don't want to hear squeaks? Right. <laughs> I could bring in my dog and we could, we could have a squeaking contest. Although she chewed through her, she chewed through her toy and took the squeaker out. And now we can't find the squeaker. So the one my dog just grabbed, she chewed the squeaker out of it. So I sewed it back in for her. And that's the one she went. Uh, There's a difference between you and me. You know how to sew. Don't worry, people. I will give my dog her squeaky toy when we're done recording this podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That you're going to have PETA up on your doorstep in a minute here. What were we talking about? Parenting. Oh, yeah. Parenting. Parenting and coping skills and how, how difficult it is to be a young person now. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we have our, we have our work cut out for us. And this is why we do, it's, it's part of the reason, frankly, why I do what I do, just because I think it's just so important for us to be aware of. I'll tell you um, a great tip I heard just the other day, shout out to a, uh, a woman, I won't, I won't name her, who was in a, in a training with me. Um, who gave some inspiration. She said her role at home is whatever game, phone game, mobile game, computer game, whatever her kids want to play. They're not allowed to play it until she's played it for 30 minutes. Like every day she has to play it. No, she just just has to play it for 30 minutes until they are allowed to play it. Got it. Yeah. That's a fantastic strategy. Minutes in a game. I can figure out enough to know if it's age appropriate if there's gambling if there's bad language you know Mm -hmm. I thought that was really um a great idea and I I think it's a really great idea when when adults will do something similar including playing the game with their kid yeah you know yeah so they can really see what what is the culture of this game how is money spent in this game is there bullying? Is there sexual content? You know, mm-hmm. is it appropriate for my kid? Right. Yeah, that's a great strategy. I, I really like that 30 minute thing. I hadn't heard of that before. 
Because we could look at the Entertainment Software Ratings Board rating on it and see like mild violence, tobacco use, uh, language, mm -hmm. whatever, but it really doesn't give you a flavor of the game itself. And as oh. parents, we know our kids. Every parent knows their kid's personality. They know what their buttons are. They know what potential risks. And so even paying attention to individual games. So mm -hmm. you might have a kid where you know, they might not have a problem with Minecraft. They might have a problem with Fortnite. They might not have a problem with some of the other types of, of games out there, but seeing which, which games sort of cause them more behavioral changes. So paying attention to things like, are they irritable when they stop? Uh, are they preoccupied with it? They seem to be asking for more money or more credits. Mm -hmm. Are they exhibiting, you know, like kind of more like anytime there's a problem, do they need to sink into the game in order mm -hmm. to get away from it? <laughs> or if the kid says it helps me to de-stress, but then they're throwing their controller at the game. Yes. Well, yeah. Might well, not be having the effect they say it's having. <laughs> that's true. Full transparency though, I will say that I love to watch sports because I say that it helps me de-stress and think not think about everyday life. But then I end up like you know, yelling at the refs. <laughs> that was a penalty. Clearly he was out. Yes. Foul. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but your, your point is so important though, because if, if there are doing it to de-stress, like it, 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 it hopefully will actually be helping to de-stress. Right. Um, you mentioned the, the game ratings and that reminded me of something I wanted I wanted to, to say in there, I, I had to refresh myself on the whole game rate ratings, right? There's age ratings. Um, what is it? Three, seven, 12, 16, and 18, right? Mm. If anything rated with an 18 is for adults and has explicit content. And then they have content ratings, violence, bad language, fear, gambling, sex, drugs, discrimination, and in-game purchases. So you can have a game rated three with in-game purchases, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now, at the moment, if a game has loot boxes, that does not count as gambling. So it does not get that gambling content rating. Right. It would get the in-game purchases label. And they've added in parentheses includes random items for those randomized events. However, if loot boxes were then to be gambling, any game that gets the gambling content label also must at least be rated for 18. So mm -hmm. all the games that are currently 16 or less that have loot boxes would then have to get the gambling label, which would bump them up to 18. Yeah. Right? Like it would complete, it would have this huge ripple effect. I hadn't even thought about that before until I was diving in and reading more about what constitutes the, the labels um, that these get. And yeah. one, of the, one of the games that's newer out there that was on Peggy's website that had just gotten rated was um, Borderlands 3 Director's Cut or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's like adult, it's 18, gambling, sexual content, violence, everything, right? And so I, I looked up a YouTube video and I wanted to check it out. And the, a couple videos I watched, in one of them, 
the the title of it was uh, Borderlands Three turned us into gambling addicts. Wow! And it's them playing the game. It has slot machines in the game, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're playing it. They come to the slot machines and they start playing them, but then they don't play the rest of the game. They just hang out in front of the slot machines within the game, continuing to play them. And the slot machines will sometimes give good things and sometimes dump out a bomb, which kills their character, right? Or they're standing Mm -hmm. and playing the slot machine and then some other character kills them. So they just keep dying over and over again in front of the slot machines. And and another just, that was all he was doing. He was just in the game playing the slot machine, not playing the rest of the game, which I thought was really, I'm not a, I'm not a gamer. I've never played Borderlands. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, So yeah. Yeah, well, you have those those new games, newer games anyway, those sandbox kind of games like Grand Theft Auto and Borderlands and, uh, you know, even to some extent Red Dead Redemption, where you have these quests to have to complete and the ability to like go into Grand Theft Auto and just go to a casino and play. Same thing, right? Mm -hmm. You could just theoretically spend all of your time in Grand Theft Auto not finding hookers, stealing cars and shooting people, but you could actually just, you know, go play slot machines for mm-hmm. the entire time you're playing that game. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and they say gambling because that's a gambling activity within the game. Mm-hmm. They're not acknowledging that there's actually gambling on it, which is interesting because then you add the loot box piece. We've had, you know, there's been other countries that have done that where they said 18 and up for loot boxes. Mm-hmm. So they have changed the ratings and some have just flat out taken out loot boxes. So for our country that largely regulates itself, it will be interesting to see where we go from here, Tana. All right, so Tana, let's switch gears. What's your favorite color? My favorite color is green. That's convenient, given that you work for the evergreen council on problem gambling. Yes, it is. Hmm. What is a song that's been in your head lately? Um, Yours by Ella Henderson. It came on my playlist a few days ago and has been rolling around in my head ever since. Okay. Uh, What's your what? favorite color? My favorite color I'm wearing is blue. Oh, but second place, second is green. You know, we're matching our favorite colors. That's yeah. great. But my second's green. Awesome. And it might be like my favorite color might be like a blue green. And my car is this, uh, it's called, what is it called? Galactic Aqua. That's the name of, of the color of my car. The fancy. It, it, cars have fancy names. I don't know why they have fancy color names. I think they're just trying to draw you in because that's it did, it did draw me in the fact that it, had it make you want to buy it when you found out the name was called galactic aqua well, yeah, kind of i mean i saw it because it's a rav4 and i love rav4s when i saw the color sure. and then i heard the name and i was like oh yeah that's that's it that's that's happening we have a crv mm-hmm. similar to a rav4 great great car. it is i used to have a crv a long 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 time ago and then we have ours is a 05, which I think was the last year. Um, that with the tire on the back, the table. Oh, it take the table. We have the one with the table. Table in yes. the car. It, the tire cover, like in in the trunk, is a, 
pulls out and is the picnic table. Do you use the picnic table? No. Yeah. We don't, I don't we think we've ever used it, but it makes me very happy that it's there because you know what? If I did, if you did want to use it, it would be there. We, we had the car pitch, the car sales pitch that with the picnic table, we bought the, it, we bought the CRV excited about the idea of having a picnic somewhere, never used the picnic table, Yeah. but yes, it's the whole thought process. I bet we probably would have taken a picnic table from the garage or something because we would have forgotten the picnic tables there. You know, now that I think about it, I think we did use it once like the, within the first year that we owned the car. Um, but you know what? Most of the time, I mean, my husband drives that car and most of the time the trunk is full of crap. So didn't mm, even get so to it. inaccessible picnic table. Kind of inaccessible. That's tragic. What would you bring with you on a picnic? Cheesecake. That's an interesting picnic choice. You bring cheesecake. I, I would, I'm, like another little picnic basket. You're bringing cheesecake. Well, yeah. Okay. Why wouldn't she? Why would you not want cheesecake? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking maybe you're driving for like four hours to get to your place. It gets a little warm. Four hours for a picnic. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're driving to Eastern Washington. <laughs> It's an all-day adventure, Tana. Maybe you've been hiking, and you grab it, you put it in your backpack, and walking then you have not only warm, but it's completely smushed cheesecake. It's almost like cheesecake pudding. Yeah, and then especially if you add put on fruit on top of there. Do you put fruit on your cheesecake? Depends on the type of cheesecake. Blueberry? Um... Yeah, I mean, if it's like a, if it's some sort of a more plain cheesecake. Oh, as opposed to chocolate peanut butter Oreo cheesecake. Rob, I'm sorry ahead of time for the editing that you're, we're going to put you through here. You just cut this entire last like 20 minutes off. Pretty much. Yeah. Well, especially since we don't want it to be too long, right? How long do we want no. this thing to be? 10 minutes. Digestible. <laughs> 10 minutes. Just speed it up so our voices get really high pitched. Speed Tana's up so her voices voice gets high pitched. Well, then it'll just sound normal. Well, you never know. Maybe somebody will go on a four-hour drive for a picnic. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Oh, cheesecake pudding. Oh, this be strawberry dip. Mmm, <laughs> that doesn't sound all too bad, actually. Thanks for listening. You can find us on the ECPG website at evergreencpg.org, also on Twitter. Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And in Oregon, you can find us at the OCPG website at OregonCPG.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And please know that if you or a loved one is seeking help with problems caused by gambling, you are not alone. Help is available. And here's where we're going to give you some resources. If you are in Washington, you can call the Washington Problem Gambling Helpline 24-7 
call or text 1-800-547-6133, or you can chat through our website, evergreencpg.org, on your computer, phone, or tablet. And if you're in Oregon, you can contact the Oregon Problem Gambling Helpline 24-7 by calling 1-877-MY-LIMIT. That's 1-877-695-4648. Or you can head to Oregon Problem Gambling Resource website at opgr.org. There you can get resources, chat, and text. Help is available for the person struggling with gambling as well as anyone affected by gambling. Join us next episode and stay Stay connected. connected.